Well, good morning, everyone. It's always uh, good to be here on this Independence Day weekend so that I can see who goes to Mercy Hill that is not a camper. Uh, it's always a bit emptier on this Sunday, and uh, I hope everybody's having a good time, but as I was up this morning, I went in, sat on the porch, and took a little walk. It was raining, and I remembered last weekend when we went camping with the youth, and Friday night, we had a lot of rain, so I'm really glad that I'm not out in the rain again, so God bless the campers, but it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Matthew Miller. I'm one of the pastoral interns here, and it's a privilege to be here and bring you the word this morning. Um, in today's scripture, we're going to be reading out of Romans 8, verses 18 through 27, but I'm actually going to back up, and I'm going to be reading the last part of our scripture from last week as well. So let's begin in verse 16, Romans 8, beginning in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And now our scripture for this week, continuing in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's bow one more time for prayer. Father, this morning I just ask that you uh, guide our hearts. Help us, Father, to, uh, to see you and to see what you have for us in your word. We just ask this in your name. Amen. In today's text, Paul is creating this contrast between current suffering and future glory. But he doesn't fully describe that glory he hints at us, hints at it. He gives us enough to really draw us toward it, but allowing to, it to remain somewhat veiled at the same time. He writes in a way that makes you really, really want to move forward to that finish line, yet he just pulls back at the reins. He just keeps us here in this tension of already, but not yet. And I believe as we go through this text, we're going to see that this, is the Paul, that this is the way that Paul wants us to live our lives, our Christian lives, to be longing for what is beyond while remaining grounded in the present, grounded in the hope that we've been given. 
Now, when Paul wrote this passage, he was a man who was intimately aware of what it means to suffer. After his conversion, his life became one of great suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 25, he states, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And he goes on to list more hardships in the following verses. And at the point that he wrote that passage to the Corinthian church, it's believed that he was about 20 years into his ministry. 20 years into his 32 years of ministry. So that is the suffering he faced in the first two-thirds of his ministry, and I didn't even list it all. Ultimately, in the last one-third of his ministry as well, there was even more suffering to come Paul's way. And the end for him was execution. This man was familiar with suffering. He was intimately familiar with it. And not only Paul, but the church in Rome would have, at this point, have also faced some level of persecution. Not nearly to the level that they would face a few years later after the book of Romans was written. Uh, Later on, they would suffer greatly at the hands of Nero. But at this time, it seems historically that the suffering that they were facing was more or less that, you know, those in the church that were Jewish, of Jewish heritage, were kind of packaged in with the Jews that were causing political trouble for Rome. So there would have been some persecution related to that. So as we look at this passage today, let's view it through the lens of an author and a church that are both very familiar with suffering in their lives, especially from the Apostle Paul. He faced suffering that you and I can't really begin to understand. But as we go through this text, we're going to see that the physical suffering is not really the point. It's part of it. But there's a different kind of suffering that Paul faced and that we face as well. And yet, even at this point, years after writing what he did to the Corinthians about his suffering, he still says in verse 1, I consider, note the word consider, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And this word consider, it's, a, it's literally used here as a mathematical term. It's not subjective. It's the idea of numbers being tallied up to a de- definitive and undeniable result, or, or whale, uh, whales, <laughs> scales, um, where you're measuring weight on one end or the other. There's a definitive result. You know, one plus one equals two. That's about as basic as it can be. But Paul sits down and he weighs or counts out the suffering he's faced, and he still says it's not worth comparing. And i got to ask, How big does the gap need to be between one thing that we are comparing to another for us to say that it's not even worth comparing? Can we compare one to two? Of course, it's double. How about comparing one to one million? Now we're starting to talk about a gap that's not worth comparing. But how can the Apostle Paul say that even with all the suffering he's faced, That it's not worth comparing to something he hadn't even fully experienced yet. Paul had a great hope. And the depth of suffering that Paul experienced caused a pure longing for that great hope. An eager longing that grounded and sustained him. Even though he hadn't fully experienced it yet. Yes, he suffered physical persecution. 
But the suffering he faced was not just that. He has written earlier in Romans of the the sin still having effect in his life. The brokenness that it caused and his cry, who will deliver me from this body of death? He longed to be set free from the suffering sin caused. But when he speaks of this glory to be revealed, he's speaking of that time when we will finally, completely be delivered from this body of death, this body of sin, these bodies of torment and persecution, and receive our new glorified bodies, free from all of that. And in verses 19 through 21, we read, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it's not just Paul. It's not just Paul that has this this longing for this moment, but the whole of creation as well. And some may say that when it speaks of creation that he may you know, just be speaking of you know, all of man, mankind as a whole. But here it's literally talking about creation as in the natural world. Think of the animals, the rocks, the trees, and so on. And if you think that it's a bit weird that all creation can wait with eager longing, just remember that we serve a God who made a donkey talk. And in Luke, Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, I tell you, if these, his followers, are silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, we live in a world that has been broken by sin. Ever since Adam took that bite out of the fruit, not only was all of mankind broken by sin, but nature itself was cursed. It no longer functions or functioned the way it had before. Where there was abundance, Now there would be weeds and thistles to choke out the crop. Animals no longer saw man as its caretaker, but as a threat. And when Isaiah prophesied about the new heaven and new earth, he said, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. And I guess that doesn't mean they're going to feed on each other. I'm going to be honest. In in the time since the fall, that's been a pretty one-sided relationship between those two animals. But you're going to see them in the new heaven and the new earth. They're going to be feeding together in harmony It's like they're going to be restored back to the very actions of, or, or nature of the garden where there would have been harmony between them. So yes, all of creation has been longing for that day because when sin entered the world, it corrupted so much more than just you and me. It corrupted everything. Everything's broken. And creation was subjected to it unwillingly. But let's bring the focus back to ourselves a little bit here. My own life has not been one that's been marked much by physical suffering. A little bit of suffering at times, maybe. Um, For example, yesterday, I played softball for the first time in several years. Now, just so you guys know, I do marketing. I sit at a desk. And uh, recently, I had to give up my standing desk, um, which didn't help. I said a lot, but yesterday I played softball. This morning I got up and I was walking around the neighborhood just praying, trying to focus my mind. And uh, my body felt a little strange. 
is a little bit of a foreshadow of some suffering that's going to be happening tomorrow and Tuesday, I have a feeling. But on a scale of zero to the Apostle Paul, I would say it's about zero out of ten, the suffering, physical suffering that I've faced in my life. And the suffering that I have faced is 100% because of my own actions, not persecution. But beyond physical suffering, in my own life, I've experienced another kind of suffering. And it's one that I believe Paul was talking about here as well. That sin nature is a wrecking ball. Yes, nature is corrupted to the very core by sin, but so am I in my flesh. And even after Christ came into my life, that struggle was still there. Along with the Apostle Paul, I found myself so often crying out, who will deliver me? And in those times of crying out to God to be delivered, what was and what is still happening to me, I am longing for that glorification that is to come. And the older I get, the more I long eagerly for that moment when this old earth is done and I get to experience a new reality, one that's set free from the corruption of sin. And I just had to think about, you know, Elon Musk, he wants to escape this earth. He wants to go to Mars. He wants to get away from the mess of earth and the current civilization. He wants to explore new frontiers, set up a civilization somewhere else, maybe one that's better and more perfect in his eyes. Let's say I went along with him to this expedition to Mars. I would still find corruption of sin on Mars as well. Because as sin has corrupted everything on Earth, it, Earth, it's corrupted everything throughout all the universe. And especially if I travel there with it, I know that the sin in my life is going to be there as well. So escape is not an option, not in our natural world. There is nowhere that I can escape the effects of sin in this life. So what about you? Has the suffering and the brokenness of sin had, a, had an effect in your life? Have you experienced that? Have you faced physical suffering or persecution? Are you like me where you've experienced the pain brought on by the sin in your life? Have you been broken by that battle? And I got to say that that song that we sang, the uh, I'm fighting a battle you've already won. I love that song. And uh, this morning as we were singing it, I just had to think, I don't know how many people have, are here this morning that would have been, you know, back when we were at the old theater, the crowd was much smaller. But I had to think to myself this morning, I really hope we sing that song as often as we, as we sang Good, Good Father. <laughs> and if you guys were part of the old theater, you'll, you'll understand. We sang it quite often, and I loved it. But I really love that song because this battle that we're fighting, it's already won. Have you cried out to God time and time again, wonder, wondering why hasn't this become easier? Like Paul in all of creation, has it caused you to wait with eager longing and expectation for that which is to come? Brothers and sisters, I can tell you this morning, if you are in Christ, if you have, if you have surrendered to his lordship, it's going to happen. That glorified state is coming for you. You have been delivered. But there is a final deliverance that's on its way. 
but it's not here yet. This is the tension that Paul wants to keep us in in this passage. Suffering is a reality in the Christian life. Yet in the church today, we're being sold a bill of goods that does not include suffering. It doesn't focus on future glory, but rather it says that not only do we not need to face suffering, but that suffering is actually a sign that we lack faith. And all that future glory can and should be had now. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you this morning, that is false. It's contrary to Scripture. The glory that they tell us we can have now is much more in line with our desires, the desires of the world. The promises are the kind that appeal to our sinful flesh, such as health, wealth, and influence. And we can have as much of it as we desire, we're told, if we just have faith. As long as we have faith to make it so. But these promises, they're cheap imitations of the hope and future glory that Paul is talking about here. And the putting off of suffering, or should I say not teaching, about the expectation of suffering in the life of the believer, it leaves the believer ill-equipped for when suffering inevitably comes. And it will come in each one of our lives. To one extent or another, it will come. And when it does, it'll have one of two effects on us. We will either begin to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God because our current circumstances are not lining up with what we've been told. Or it will drive us to a greater hope and longing for that which is to come. Because our hope does not lie in this world, but it lies in that which is to come. And it's, these, it's the latter of these two perspectives that I believe Paul is pushing us toward in this passage. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we can't be healthy. I'm not saying we can't be wealthier, that we can't have influence. I'm not saying that at all. Those are not bad things in, in, in and of themselves. But they can, be used for an incredible, they can be used for an incredible benefit and for the glory of God. But that's not where our focus should be. Those do not bring us hope that endures. Jesus himself said in John 15, 18 through 21, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If, you. if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him that sent me. From the mouth, from the mouth of our Savior himself, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So don't believe the lie that suffering is not going to be a part of the Christian life. If we have the proper perspective of the suffering we will face, Understanding that it is the result of a world that has fallen and corrupted, a world that is not our true home. Because as we see in verse 16 and 17, it says, We are children of God, we are fellow heirs with Christ, and we will be glorified with Him, provided we what? Provided we suffer with Him. This suffering will produce in us a deeper longing to be with Him, and a deeper longing for that moment when we receive our new in our glorified bodies. And in verse 23, in the first part of 
24, it continues this thought. It says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait with eager longing, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Yes, those of us who are in Christ, we have received the first fruits of the Spirit. We have experienced the taste of love and joy. We've experienced the taste of the glory of Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a seal of what Christ has done for us. We've received this beautiful sample. And what does it do? It causes us to wait eagerly for the full experience. I want to give you a little illustration here. Recently, our daughter Mila turned four years old. And before I get into that, I just want to say, we found out last night that four years old is not the appropriate age to begin inviting friends over for a sleepover. I stand before you this morning a a man who's a bit tired. (laughs) But it's okay. She recently turned four. But for a very long period of time, time leading up to that actual day, she was waiting for longing for that day. I don't know how often she asked, is it my birthday yet? But think of this longing as a child for a birthday. They know it's coming. And if they're pretty young, they don't know the exact date. They don't know how the calendar works. But mommy and daddy told her that it's coming. And so she believed it. And she expected it with eager anticipation. She knew it was coming. It just hadn't arrived yet. That longing, that hope, and that anticipation just keeps building and building until finally one day she woke up and was told, today's your birthday. Christian, we should be waiting as a child waits with eager longing for that day, trusting that it is coming because it's been promised by one whose word is sure and one whose word can be trusted above all others. Just as sure as our birthday comes about once a year so we can trust that the glorification this that Paul is talking about here it's coming do we wait with eager longing for it or is our life easy enough now that future glory doesn't seem very attractive it doesn't seem as attractive as it should be does the message of immediate satisfaction I'm sorry. (laughs) Does the message of immediate satisfaction or glory appeal to us more? Brothers and sisters, if we are in that place where we don't have our hope set on the future glory, on that future day rather than today, we are setting ourselves up for failure. When we face difficult times, we likely won't be able to stand. The last part of verse 24 as well as 25 continues like this. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This hope that Paul speaks of is not a wishful thinking type of hope. It's not the type of hope where I hope that I shoot a buck of a lifetime this year. Or I hope that my husband remembers to take out the trash. I know in my wife's case that hope is often dashed. 
as I rush off to work in the morning and I zoom past those trash cans and leave it to her way too often to take it out. These hopes are rooted in a fair amount of luck, especially the second of those two illustrations. No, that's not the hope that Paul is talking about here. The hope that Paul is speaking about here, it's a sure hope. It's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And this hope is sure because the person it is rooted in is sure. There is none more sure wherein we can place our hope than Jesus Christ. No, we don't see it fully yet. But because the one who our hope is in is sure, we can hope eagerly and with hope and with patience because there is no doubt whatsoever it will be fulfilled. That day will come. But even with that sure hope, we still will have moments where we doubt when we face suffering in our lives. We won't always live in the reality of that hope. We won't always live in the reality of who we are in Christ. And that's why what we see in the next verse is so wonderful in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. What a wonderful promise that is. When we are in those moments of doubt, when we are not living in our identity as children of God and heirs with Christ, in those moments, the Holy Spirit helps us. Even when we are in a situation that's so hard that we just, we don't even know how to ask God for help. The Holy Spirit intercedes and with a, with a depth of care and love and compassion that is so deep that it comes out even from the Holy Spirit himself as a groaning that's too deep for words. And the Holy Spirit is God. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that God cares so deeply for you that in our pain when we can't speak, when words escape us, and all that comes out is just that groaning, that he groans along with us. He feels our pain, he understands, and he cares for us. And God the Father hears and understands the mind of the Spirit, as we see in verse 27, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. How? According to the will of God. And this is so important for us to understand this morning, brothers and sisters, because often in the midst of our pain, our desire is to ask for what is counter to the will of God. We want what is good for us right now, what's going to make us feel better, what's going to alleviate the pain in this moment. But God's plan is so much greater than our own. He knows what our ultimate joy, what is required for our ultimate joy, and that it will be enriched through the suffering and the testing that we face. And worship team, you can come up now. But you see, the suffering is reality for us right now, to some extent or another. But it's not permanent. The trials that we face, they will help us to become more like Christ. Because through times of suffering, our focus is once again driven toward that which is to come. We look to one that is greater than ourselves. And we allow the refining work of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, shaping us, molding us, and causing us to look forward with eager longing and a sure hope to that which is beyond this corrupted world. 
to look forward to a glorified body, a new heaven and a new earth where things are restored to relationship and function as it's intended, wholly in alignment with God, full communion, full realization of our adoption and fellow heirs with Christ as sons and daughters of God. That is why Paul is able to say that his current suffering is not worth comparing to that which is to come. And brothers and sisters, I can tell you this morning, whatever you're going through right now, it may be painful beyond words. I don't know your situation. It may have you ground down and weak to the point that you can't even form words. You can't even pray about it. You can't describe it. But I want to encourage you, look forward to that which has been promised. Hope for it with eager anticipation. It will become reality for you someday. Know that the Spirit is right there with you. He's interceding with you. But not only the Spirit who is the seal of our promise, but Christ himself, even now, is at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. And when we live in light of these realities, we don't need to stay bogged down in our suffering. Rather, when we hold our present suffering in the light of that which is to come, we will be able to say like Paul, that it is not worth comparing, and we will be able to endure toward the end. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that despite the suffering to whatever level that we have in our lives, Father, whether physical suffering, persecution, but Father, we know most of all, probably the most identifiable one for all of us is the pain and suffering of a corrupt and sinful world and the impacts on us. Father, I just ask that as we face this, that you would give us this eager longing, this anticipation for that which is to come that day when we get to be with you, where we get to be in our glorified bodies and we experience everything as you intended it to be from the start, Father. We just ask, Father, that if anyone is here this morning that is in a period of of pain and suffering that's too deep for words, Father, that you would just encourage their hearts, you would help them to see and focus on that which is to come. And Father, I just ask that as we go forward from here, Father, that this church here at Mercy Hill, that we would be obedient to your word, that we would not only understand that suffering will be a part for us, but that through that suffering you will work in our lives and you will bring us greater joy and greater freedom in the future. Father, help us to be a light and a witness to those around us. We just ask all these things in your name. Amen.